podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. to the Chelsea. Here we are. It's another week. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a vaccine on the way for all of us, we're told. It's going to be fantastic. The team won in magnificent style in the FA Cup, but we'll talk about that later. But there are things to to, to look forward to, aren't there, Andy? How are you, Mr Andy Saunders? I'm all right. Yeah, sort of, you know, had a, had a week back to work, which is never fun after a nice layoff. So back into the swing of it work-wise and, uh, yeah, you know, all right in these weird and strange and odd times. And and is there a lot of work for you at the moment? Because, I mean, I mean a lot of your work with PR is, is, is helping people promote things, isn't it? And, and initiatives that are going on. Is there a lot at the moment or people yeah. planning for the future? No, there's, you know, music industry doesn't stop. People still want music. They still want to make music and create music and put music out. And there's all sorts of uh, stuff happening on an industry level. So, yeah, I'm busy. Um, I'm always busy, So which is good, you know. And I know some people are struggling a little bit for work. And my, my thoughts and, and heart go out to them because that must be very difficult. But, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So it's uh, it's um, it's been fine for me, I have to say. How about you? Yeah, it, it's been it's been very busy actually, working with people on various projects and ideas, um, and it's great. I mean, a lot of them you get really excited about, and then you go, well, some of these I actually can't do until the time we're able to go out and mix with people. So that's kind of weird because when you, you know what it's like when you get an idea, it's nice to try and get things moving as quickly as possible. And mm. like I know with your with Icon, that was years and years in the making, but at least you were always progressing it and and getting to the, the stage where you could go and film people and record interviews and it's it's perpetual motion once you get going, but trying to get that initial actually you got something in the can or something's actually happening it, it's a very hard part and you 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 try not to get too excited because excitement can wear off and then you lose the impetus of things so yeah, it's a, it's a hard balancing act as it is for everybody in just about every job in the world i would think at the moment yeah, it is difficult. I mean, technology's made things a lot easier, hasn't it? I mean, I, I know that we're all sort of moaning about having to sit on Zoom or Teams or Google Meets or whatever the video conferencing platform we use is. But it is amazing that we can do that, that we don't have to travel miles and miles to sit in front of clients or friends or even family. We can actually just do that from our living rooms and, and home offices. Uh, that's amazing. And I've made podcasts 
over Zoom, you know, and they've been successful. And I think that technology has really helped and come to the fore in this period. And we need to to, to work out what our relationship with technology is. I'd hate I'd hate to be in a world that we did everything virtually, where we where we didn't have any human in, interaction. But finding that balance of work and technology and and you know life work and and all that stuff, I think this has been a really interesting time to reflect on whether we actually need to sit in an office all day or whether we need to commute every day. I think that's going to have really positive effects moving forward if we can figure out what the benefits have been through this period. Oh, I totally agree. You know, you know, it's a friend of mine. He's he's got a business and he's had an office for I don't know thirty five, forty years or whatever. And his lease is up at the end of January, end of this month. Normally, he would just sign the new lease and that's it. But he says he's going to actually give it up. He says I don't need it. I really don't. And I, I think that's going to be, I think we're going to see a lot of office space, as you're saying, potentially being repurposed. Because I think a lot of companies and a lot of people will look at streamlining things. And, you know, it saves a lot of people money as well. People may not have to travel as much into the cities or, or, or what have you and will save money on, on travel. It may be that people end up with more disposable income than they've had for a long time. That could be a positive. It, it definitely could. I mean, there's a caveat to that. I mean, you and I live in nice houses with a nice garden and, and a little bit of space. If you're a young... Uh, employee working at a reasonably junior level, living in shared accommodation, um, you know, and you don't have the luxury of space or out, even outdoor space, it can become very lonely and very isolating if you're used to working in, a, in an office environment. So we have to be mindful that it's all right for us. It's not so good if you're if you're at a junior level and just starting out and don't have a huge amount of money. And you know, I, I think that could lead to serious issues, mental health issues. So we have we have to get all this right. You know, isolation's a terrible thing um, if you're not somebody that that can cope with it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think that the there's another way of looking at it as well that when people save say thousands on perhaps traveling into town maybe that will go on rent somewhere else there are possibilities we we don't know the outcome of everything yet um i i know i've just chatted to a, a friend of mine this morning who's younger and what have you and has been stuck in his his flat for a, for a long long time and that that kind of isolation can only be damaging and it really you know i think it affects all of us in a way that we need interaction i mean interestingly um i i did a, a little workout um mental workout of people who've been through the house since lockdown began last march and you know we we often because we live in the country we see people most weekends that that was always the norm people would come up you'd see it it was always a sociable thing people would come out of town to see us last year we had 14 people come through the the doors of the house and 11 of those were people who had to do some sort of work on the mm. house so mm. i actually saw three people in a social uh, situation. And that was in that month where everything was okay. That was in June, late June, early July. Mm. Um, other than that, there's been no interaction. <laughs> I haven't seen people. Uh, you know, I've got to know my neighbour a bit better over the fence. And, um, you know, he's he's a really nice guy and things and down the road. But on the whole, I don't speak to anybody in a physical way anymore we we, no. we don't have this interaction um and i i just think it shows 
where we are. So it can be wearing wherever you are. That I, I think we are on the whole, and I know a few miserable swine out there, but on the whole, we are sociable beasts. Mm. We, th- we thrive off interaction, whether that be work or play. I think it's going to be very odd when we go back into football stadiums because I think it will be overwhelming for a lot of people to 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 you know to go on a packed tube and then go into a you know busy walkway into the stadium and then sit in the seats and have that noise and see that many people. I genuinely think it's going to be really overwhelming with people, <laughs> me included. I think it's going to be a really weird experience. Hopefully, a kind of joyous. And um, you know, and rewarding experience, but overwhelming nonetheless. And I think we've got to be prepared for that. That it's going to be really strange when we get forty-five thousand people back in a football stadium. God, I hadn't even thought about that, but actually, it slightly freaks me out now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it will. I think it is a bit freaky. You know, being in any kind of crowd, you know, shoulder to shoulder, um, you know, rubbing alongside. I mean, that long queue of people leading down to Fulham Broadway tube station after the game. You know, that's really cheek by jowl stuff. I mean, people are going to be really weirded out by that, I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You know, close proximity is not something we'll have experienced. But I mean, the first time you shake hands with somebody or or you know give give someone who isn't an immediate family member a big hug you know that's going to be a kind of weird experience as well because most people haven't done that for a long time you're right the normal becomes the abnormal Mm. Um, i know we talk about abnormal times but actually it's those little simple things that the the little salutation that you take for granted will become a big thing i think i I think i wonder if i wonder if handshaking is no longer going to exist i think it's i wonder i wonder if people are always going to touch elbows now you know it's you know that the handshake was always the 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 you know the method of greeting wasn't it maybe that's been consigned to the dustbin of history maybe we're, we're going to be a nation of elbow touches now yeah yeah i mean look there is absolutely no reason that things can't change or won't change you know because i think we'll come out of this as a a very different people, perhaps. I mean, maybe. I mean, we talked last year, and I remember you saying when I was going on about my my hopes that would would happen, and this would change, and that would change. And I think you said, but we are kind of people who revert back to the old ways. But maybe this has just been long enough that you're absolutely right. Now everything changes, and maybe we will evolve into a new way of doing things. I wonder. You know, I wonder if. If um, football-wise, whether watching live football will decline, whether people will think, well, actually, I've got quite used to watching it on TV or got quite used to streaming it or or, or however they consume it, they consume it in different ways. Maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Or or maybe there'll be a real upsurge of people going, I'm really going to live life to the full and go to every football match I possibly can. I don't don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how people feel about it, whether behaviours and consumption have changed to the extent that it will affect the dynamic of live football. I mean, I think that there's still going to be a desire for people to go to to live football. I, I just wonder if people will approach it slightly differently. Uh, I think I think you could be right. I I don't think we can... T- maybe the thing that will come out of this is that we won't take things for granted. Well, that's certainly true. I totally get it. I, I totally agree. The, the little things of 
going on holiday or, um, you know, just spending time with family, going out for lunch with friends, you know, playing football, playing sport, watching sport, all that stuff that we massively took for granted. I think, I, I don't think any of us are going to do that again. I think those pleasures are going to become really important to us and we're going to cherish them. And well, I am certainly. And I, I think most people are. Yeah, I think you're right. Look, I, you know, I've been in situations in the past with my health, having had cancer and a heart attack and things where I had a lot of my life taken away from me. But the one thing I always had through it all was my friends, you know, people who come and see me, whether I was in hospital or recovering or whatever. I you came always to see you had, in hospital. Yeah, you did. You even uh, lent me your Nintendo Game Boy. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. It was, but it, that was that was amazing because I hadn't had one before and it kept me going. It really did. I've never forgotten that. That's when I went, ah, oh, he's not just an arse. Um, <laughs> when was that? Was that? Were you in the Brompton then? No, I think that Marston? was. I think it was Charing Cross. Oh right, okay. But um, yeah, oh, what, just down know. the just down the road from the ground. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've been mm. in a few, so. <laughs> I've been to see you in the in in the in the Fulham Hospital. The, yeah, the uh, uh, Westminster, Chelsea and Westminster. I've, I've been to see you in there for some one of your many ailments. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but but my point being also is that the one thing they couldn't take away was my friends. No. Um, God knows what it's like to be in places where you can't see anybody. You know, my heart goes out to people because hospitals fantastic as they are they are just not places you want to spend a lot of time in um so yeah anyone who's going through being in there or having been through there i I totally feel for you because without friends days can be very long you know sometimes you'd have a a day where you know i'd only see jackie my wife or whatever which is great but you know once visiting time was over hours move in a different different way and and hospital time is not one to to live through constantly it's really you know unpleasant in a lot of ways because yeah, th- thank god for the morphine eh? yeah oh, oh my gosh especially when you're allowed to do your own drip feed on it it's brilliant um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Morphine- i mean listen i would say this without without getting too heavy about it, it it's really yeah. important if you are struggling out there if you do have mental health issues if you have anxiety or depression or just a you know fear uh, uh, of the future or any of that stuff it's really important i think because i've done quite a lot of work with mental health um, charities and, and and institutions particularly in the music industry and it's important to realize you're not alone you aren't alone that there are lots of resources out there for you and i think the most important thing from all my learnings from working in this area or being associated with this area is talking to people helps and and if you can find someone to talk to a professional or you know, somebody at the end of a, a helpline it's really important so so don't sit there and suffer in silence yeah, I, I'd agree with you. You know, uh, I, I made a film about kids and mental health last year, and um, the things I discovered were, were just quite incredible. Um, just on, on one point, just to to show for our older people how I think younger people are different today, and this kind of helps per- perhaps you know explain why kids are not the same we can't say oh yeah but when we were young it doesn't mean anything we took a mindfulness teacher into a class of eight and nine year olds um to to see if it would be of benefit anyway this mindfulness teacher stood up at the very beginning and all these little kids you know who've been running around like normal eight and nine year olds she suddenly said okay so who in here has ever suffered from stress Every single child's hand shot up in the air 
And then she went round them all and they validated the reasons for why they suffered from stress. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was eight or nine, the word stress had no meaning or relevance to me. I had no concept of what it could possibly mean. And that moment was a real sort of one of those amazing eye-openers where you realise just exactly how different the world is as yeah. you grow older. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're young, old, rich, poor. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. You know, we all struggle at times. And, and it's important, I think, to, to recognise it and to, and, to, and to own it and to find help if you need it. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's taken, taken us off into a slightly dark rabbit hole. But, you know, it's, it's important, I think, at this time to, to acknowledge that, that, you know, we, we do this for a bit of fun and, and football's our hobby and everything. But, you know, ultimately, we're all people and, and we, all, we all have our challenges. And, you know, if we can, you know, make that point to people that, that you know, the help is out there, then that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we should probably should probably move on to a, a little bit of football talk. And mm. um, uh, I, uh, before we get on to the game, <laughs> so weird to have only one game to talk about, but uh, transfer markets. Have you got thoughts about this? Is it going to be quiet? Are we going to, I think possibly we'll see people being shipped out. I don't know if you saw, but Danny Drinkwater is supposedly available for 3.5 million. I heard Um, he's going to go to some, you know, sort of obscure Turkish club, isn't he? Yeah, although there were also rumours, not that we listened to rumours, but the idea that a a player who cost us £35 million is available for 3.5. I mean, Andy, you could afford that kind of money and have him doing keepy-up in your garden, couldn't you? I'd spend that on lunch, to be honest. But, yeah, I mean, I I probably could. Um, Again, you know, who knows with those rumours? You know, who knows? I mean, as soon as you put supposedly in front of it, you know it's a load of bollocks, frankly. So, you know, of course I look at those gossip sites. You know, it ends up on my social media feeds. I see see it all i try not to get sucked in by it sometimes i do um because you know i'm only human and 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 and, and it's exciting but i think if you take one step back and reflect until they're standing on a pitch holding the shirt you know and it's announced on any particular club's official website it's not a done deal and it's all rumor and supposition in answer to your question uh, i genuinely don't know I, I would imagine they're trying to ship some players out you know you can't see a future for example for marcus alonso at the club you can't at the moment see where Fikayo Tamore fits in uh, and whether he's being lined up for a loan move although I did hear yesterday that because of the injury to Christensen um, they simply can't let him go at the moment even though he wants to um, so there, there's all sorts of twists and turns I, I don't know Kerry well, none of us know really um, I can't see us buying anybody that doesn't seem to be anywhere on the horizon I don't think we need anybody at the moment I think the summer might be an interesting point but we all know there's no real value in the January market uh, January transfer market so um, who knows? Who knows is my answer to that. Yeah, it's a, it's a curious transfer window. And, and really, if we're, we're honest, I think we're still trying to fit in the players that we've bought and try and understand what they can do within the team. And it's been so stop-start with injuries and people not having time to adjust to this, that and the other, that just bringing in new faces may possibly be the wrong moment. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think... 
He'll clear out the people. We, we know that he and Alonso don't get on well. Um, Alonso can't even make the bench on a cup game. I, I can't see that there is a future for him in any way, shape or form, even as a backup at Chelsea. Um, and he has been, you know, fantastic. He's done some incredible things for us. Um, but, you know, the times change, things move on. It's like Victor Moses. Um, now, isn't Victor Moses still actually a Chelsea player? Yeah. Or did we actually sell him? No, I think he's still a Chelsea player. And, and uh, I don't know. I could be corrected on that one, but I think he is. And, yeah. and you know, it, it, sometimes it just doesn't work for players. They don't, they don't, as the old cliche goes, fit into the manager's plans. And Alonso, you know, fell out with Frank quite badly. And I think Frank doesn't see him as somebody that wants to invest any time or energy in. You know, he's got Emerson. He's got Ben Chilwell. And he's got youngsters if he needs them. So why would he need Alonso? I think that's his his attitude. But there is a little bit of dead weight out there. Um, there's also players that you think could move on because you can't really see a long-term place for them in the team. I, I would put Jorginho, for example, in that category. I don't see how Jorginho can play regularly in a Frank Lampard team. I know he likes him. But with Billy Gilmore coming up, you wonder whether he's going to invest a bit more time and energy in him. Um, Kovacic is, 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 seems to be preferred to Jorginho But again, this is all supposition, Kerry I don't know we're in, a, we're in a sort of weird time with the club You know, The manager's position doesn't feel rock solid at the moment um, Although I think that you know, any, any rumours of his imminent demise are overstated It doesn't feel like he's set in stone at, at Chelsea for the, for the long term If he doesn't you know, arrest this run of results significantly so, I don't know, maybe they're waiting and seeing. And, I mean, I, I think if there was a, a world-class centre-back available, they'd look at him. But apart from that, I can't, I can't see any areas of the team where they would be willing to pay a premium in the January transfer window. No, I, I'd agree with you. I, I think that would be the one area you'd go, well, you know what, maybe what we've got doesn't quite live up to the bill. You could probably strengthen there. But everywhere else... We're still fitting the players in. And mm. we'll, we'll talk about this when we start talking about the cup game because I've got a few thoughts on, on what happened there um, uh, at the weekend. And we'll come on to that in a sec. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think we are in, a, in a, an interesting phase because I think we bought so much that until we've got them all in place, it's really hard to know. I take your point about Jorginho. He feels like a, a person you sell in the summer. I, I can't yeah, see him oh, going yeah, in January. I no, think. I don't think I don't think he will as well. You know, I think he's a player that a lot of teams will want, but he is a fairly specialist player, so it, it's not an easy sell. Really, he's not he's not a bog standard midfield player. He's an he's an interesting, I would say, complex midfield player that needs to work with a manager that that really wants to build a midfield around him. Um, so it, it's not it's not it's not like he's an off the shelf midfielder that you just slot into a an elite European team. He's he's not that player. No, he look he looks like the kind of player actually, um, and I love I love the character of the man. I, I think. Oh, me too. I've got no regrets about having him at Chelsea. Um, I think he is obviously a team player. Every time you look at him, he's he's pretty much if he's on the bench, he's chatting to somebody, he's smiling, he gets on with his job. He's a true professional. It's how he comes across, uh, and I think. Really, his future really lies in probably Italy or perhaps Spain. Somewhere yeah. where he gets more time on the ball, it, it's more measured, it, perfect for him. You yeah. know. 
but he doesn't. We'll, he doesn't. He, he, he's not. He's not a player that's going to work in a crash bang wallop league like the Premier League. You know, no, it is it, interesting to see players that we have let go. For example, William and Louise. Not really. Not really making us regret. You know, letting them go. To be honest, I mean, they, neither of them have really set the world on fire since they went. So the club seems to be pretty good at picking the players that it wants to let go. I mean, I know we've made some horrific mistakes in the past with De Bruyne and Salah and Lukaku to a degree um, but now it does seem that we're you know we're, we're picking and choosing the players that we let go very well yeah and and I'd still maintain with those players at that time there wasn't a place for them in, in the team you know they weren't ready and everything was such a higher turnover oh he hasn't made it well no he's got to go and sadly I think if we bought De Bruyne say, a year or so ago, and he wasn't getting to the side, he would still be there and would eventually get in, if, if, if you know what I mean. I think our attitude... I don't, I don't know, Kerry. I don't, don't know. Don't I, I think, think? We, we had a manager that didn't have the patience to allow a player to develop in the team. And we saw that with Quadrado. We saw it with, you know, a bunch of players, so many players under Mourinho, where it was like, I have a very fixed idea about what I want in my head. And if you don't deliver it within 45 minutes, you're dead to me. Um, and, and his lack of foresight and lack of, you know, insight into what a player was and how to best use them and how to play to their strengths, I think it was a huge weakness in Mourinho's management. Still but is, it, to a degree. Yeah, but don't you think it was also a weakness of the club as well? Um, in, in, in what sense? In the fact that they went with Mourinho every time. And st- apart from really Shevchenko, who he was asked to really work on and get in the side, there was a there was a standoff. For, well, for, Shevchenko was a personal friend of Roman Avramovich, yeah. you know, which is always going to be a you know be a pretty good card to have in your pocket if you're a player. Um, you know, I, I guess the, the, the club was in a position where they gave the manager that level of control. It was yeah. the, man- the manager's decision. So as far as I'm concerned, it's all on Mourinho, not the club. Interesting, because I, I would also say that... Over the club's the not last... going to turn around and say, no, you have to keep this player and you have to play him. It doesn't work like that. Mm, I, I, but there has been a sea change at the club that actually through, throughout the last 10, 12 years, we've really worked harder at building up the academy building up the younger players for potentially a chance where you well, might get that, them in. How's that relevant to the to the point that you're making? Because we went out and bought an awful lot of the players to make up a team. And and now, finally, in this last year, OK, not perhaps necessarily by design, perhaps the academy was built to bring on players to then go and sell, to bring in money to buy other bigger players... I don't know, but there was a, a real change where there was this development program, whether to sell players on to bring in money or whether possibly one or two might make it into the first team. Maybe that whole plan changed because of last year and the transfer ban. But we are in a pretty interesting place now with, with the young players that come through. When you see some of these players, you think they've got a chance, whereas before you go... Okay, he's okay, and most of them go off and play championship football or go off somewhere abroad, and you don't really hear of them again. I mean, I accept all that, and a lot of that's down to Frank Lampard and the work that Frank Lampard did at Derby and his philosophy of bringing you through and and, and creating a nucleus of a team based around youth. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right on that point of view, but going back to your point about the club's culpability in letting significant players like De Bruyne, Salah, Lukaku, et al. go, I don't think that I don't think you can conflate the two because no. 
because I think that you know the, the the club had trusted the manager in that in that case Mourinho to make the decisions about the players that he wanted, and and I, I don't see the, the 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 correlation between building the academy, which is working very well, and the club's culpability for letting those players go. Okay, so you would say that the manager makes all the decisions, or did at that time... I think Mourinho was a very powerful figure within the club in terms of transfers, yes. I think he... he it was odd, because on the one hand, I think he was prepared to let the club buy players for him. I mean, I don't think... I've always maintained this. I don't think that Mourinho is a good talent scout. I don't, I don't think that he's someone who, you know, really understands developing talent. You know, I think he looks at the really big, established oven ready players in Europe and says I want that you know and you know you could point at you know players like Didier Drogba but Didier Drogba was smashing it at Marseille Michael Essien was smashing it in France um, you know these are not players that were you know under the radar development players you know he, he, he's he's someone that has always gone for the top level established player so my point about him not having the foresight and the insight to 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 work with players to understand players that are developing and play to their strengths I think is that that's my point I don't think he's very good at that there are managers and I think Frank Lampard might be one of those managers that can see innate talent and develop it I mean clearly he's gone out and bought significant you know, uh, high-profile players in Werner and Havertz particularly. Um, but all those young players, he sees something in those players. He saw something in Mason Mount at Derby, you know, and has developed Mason Mount. You know, he sees something in Tammy. He sees something in Reese James. I don't think Mourinho was that type of manager that could do that. That's mm. my point. OK, no, I, I think that's a, an, an intriguing way of looking at it and it makes me think about it because... What it seems to be then is if the players are bought, the club will then accept if the manager goes, you know what, that person you bought me just wasn't right. Get get rid. Well, uh, Kepa's, Kepa's a good example of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Kepa was, a, you know, the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. You know, the world record goalkeeper signing. I mean, if the club were that, you know, were, were that um, interested in, in making sure that players play, they would have kicked up a fuss about that, wouldn't they? Um, and he's he's you know relegated to very much a supporting role, and I, I, I bet they wish they could sell him, but they can't get any value for him. Yeah, exactly. Could be the Danny Drinkwater of goalkeepers. Oh. <laughs> but um, the, the the other did you thing... see that story of the did did I send you that story of the uh, the um, Belgian striker who was angling for a for a transfer. I think he was, uh, I can't remember the thing, I think it was Standard Liège, or one of these, um, uh, I think he was at Royal Antwerp, and uh, he, he was desperate for, for a move to one of the Greek sides, Olympiakos or Panathinaikos, and they wouldn't let him go. So he turned up at training in an Andalek shirt, who are their, like, you know, their, their fiercest rivals. And I did imagine sort of Danny Drinkwater turning up at Cobham in a, in a Spurs shirt, you know, sell me, sell me to some second division Turkish club or I'm going to wear this Liverpool shirt, you know, um, you know, but it was a fairly ballsy move from the Belgium striker. Brilliant, brilliant. I love things like that. <laughs> the things footballers do. Who was it? It was Pete, was it Peter Endlove? Who was a footballer who drove to? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't Peter and Love? No, it was um, Odom Wingy. Yeah, it was Odom Wingy. That's right. Yeah. Drove down to QPR, didn't he? That's right. 
<laughs> oh, I'll never forget that. That's just absolutely brilliant. I'm here. Sign me. <laughs> Sign no, me. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, oh, but, uh, embarrassing. Well, you know, I mean, you know, Paul Ince posing in the, you know, Man United shirt before he'd signed. And, you know, Makaleli went on strike, didn't he, at Real Madrid and refused to play for them until he signed for us. So, I mean, it's, it's not something that we've not been associated with. Well, Courtois. Courtois, at, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, in fact, he actually owes us 72 million quid, doesn't he, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. It's all his fault. But, um, all right, last point before we go to the break, though. I just want to quickly talk. Have you seen the, the new um, laws for European players uh, and what have you? That's going to affect the transfer window, isn't it? It's all going to be points-based. So the freedom I, of movement uh, yeah. laws, yeah. Because, um, of course, it won't we won't be able to sign younger players necessarily in the same way that we used to. No. So, um, so it's going to be very much like when you sign South American players or, or, or players from outside the European Union. Um, yeah, it's, you know, all this freedom of movement stuff is, is going to be really tricky. It's really tricky for my industry, the music industry, in terms of touring. You know, because of because of our hostile environment and because of our, uh, you know... Uh, desire to to restrict freedom of movement it means that artists touring are going to have a very very difficult time and it's going to have a massive impact on my industry so football is just a long line of things that are going to be impacted by these decisions that have been made oh we are coming back to the world of carnets it's not going to be pleasant now it's the same in the film industry as well as the music industry every industry every industry that has to move people and equipment across borders is going to struggle yeah, they are, because that was the most thankless thing in the world. You know, you'd, with a film crew, you would half a time send your cameraman down two hours before everyone else got down. And as a producer, you'd often go with them. But, you know, yeah, horrible. The amount of paperwork, what you had to do. No, not looking forward to it. Not very nice. Um, it's time to stay at home. Oh, hold on. We've been doing that for the last year. All right, look, Andy, we should now go to the commercial break and then we'll come back and we will talk about the cup game. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we are back. So, after the difficult Christmas period, we were faced with the opportunity to try and right some wrongs, and we had a draw against Morecambe in the FA Cup. Now, Andy, the team that he announced, were Mm. you surprised? Yeah. (laughs) It's a pretty strong team, wasn't it? Yeah, I've got my own view on this, but I, I, I remember you texted me going, huh, see, he's playing the kids then. 
Um, well, I think most of us thought that there would be a, 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 a balance of, of younger players and experience, but he went you know, he went pretty strong with this team. And I guess there's a couple of reasons for that. He, he would argue that there are players out there that need game time. There are players out there that are coming back from fitness that he wants to look at, you know, certain players. Um, and let's be honest, he absolutely needed a win and he needed a convincing win. There, there was no ways about it. There was no way he was going to risk the under 23s uh, and a potential upset or, a, you know, an underwhelming performance. He needed to make a statement after the run of games that we've been on. Um, and, and so I I can see the reasoning behind it, but that doesn't get away from the fact that I was surprised at the strength of the team. Okay, so here's my take on it. I think what you said is correct. I actually think he ended up, he's in a situation where I think he knows when they're fit, his defence and goalkeeper at the moment. The two areas where he's been let down over the last few weeks is the midfield area and the front three. He hasn't got the balance right. The longer Timo Werner's gone on without confidence, which he gets from scoring, the harder it is for him. I think several things have happened in the last few weeks for Frank. The midfield, I think he's concerned about Kante. Okay, supposedly he was injured yesterday, but we know that when they've been fit, his preferred midfield is Kante or a another in that role, and then Mount and Havertz. Mount and Havertz haven't played together like this properly since Leeds, when they were fantastic. It was their best game together. And same with Kante. I think Billy Gilmore is the kind of player he can almost see a potential young Kante in Billy Gilmore. So this gave him the opportunity to play a three that if they stay fit, we might see a few more times through this season. Depending on Kante, I think... Billy Gilmore is being groomed to be the understudy for Kante and maybe step in at some point. The front three, I think he is realising that Timo Werner out on the left, and let's face it, he spends a lot of time wide on the left. That isn't what he did at Leipzig. He would use that left position to make his runs and to, to come in far more than he has done with Chelsea. And now that he's got Zayek um, and Pulisic and Hudson-Odoi all coming back into fitness and into form, especially with Callum, that actually I don't think he thinks that he can afford to have Timo Werner out on the left of a front three anymore. That position has to be taken by one of his specialists, i.e. Pulisic or Callum Hudson-Odoi. The right flank, we know that side is uh, Zayek's. And when Rhys James is back fit, that works really well. So I think his only option is either to drop Timo Werner and have him as an impact sub, as we talked about last week, or he has to move him into the centre. And then Tammy becomes the understudy for the, the central role. So I think he used the cup game as more like a training game. I think he knew with the side that he put out, even if we played badly, we'd probably sneak a win. Okay. I mean, there's, there's a lot in okay. there, Kerry. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I can stop you there sorry, just for a sorry. second. Sorry, sorry. Because, I've, because I've otherwise I'm going to lose all your points because okay. I, I think we, we, we need to unpack a little bit of that and then we can go back to, <laughs> you're to, right. to, what, to, what, to what you're saying because um, I think there's a lot of truth in what you say. I think obviously he wants to look at different combinations, whether they're in midfield or, or up front. And, and they are, you know, it's a tricky it's a tricky task for him. I think the Werner question is a question um, that, that's 
going to be an enigma for some time. Um, I, I can absolutely see him starting on the left again because I think he's a big fan of Tammy. Uh, the one thing that I think has come out of recent games is that Hudson Odoi has to start. He has to start. He's the informed player at the moment. I think in in all of his last three or four games, he's been the best player on the pitch um, for us. And I think it, it's important that you know he's. Uh, accommodated. I think Pulisic is is an enigma, as we know, both in terms of fitness and, and form. I think Zayek's, you know, potentially our best player in the squad, um, and so he needs to continue working with him. The Havertz question is really interesting because I think Havertz in the second half was a completely different player because he was playing closer to the striker and you know finding a lot more uh, time in and around the box. And we know he's a goal threat, and and you know, and, and we're starting to play to his strengths. So yeah, there's a lot in what you say about. Uh, looking at the combinations, but I genuinely think it's a lot simpler than that. I just think he wanted to win the game, Kerry, and I just think he wanted to uh, to go out there with a strong with a strong team to do that. I think the the kind of research and development thing that you're talking about, I think that's an ongoing process in Frank's head. I don't think this game was necessarily that. I think it was a lot more simple than that. Just go out and win and win convincingly. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I really don't agree. I think this okay, was a training right. ground exercise that yeah. he. he I, don't, I don't really, think that he's. I just he don't think that win. he had the. I don't, yeah, I don't think he had the, um, the luxury of treating this like a training ground exercise because nope. because of the because of the runner games that had gone previously. That's my point. But yes, you know, you're absolutely entitled to that view, and I think it's a valid view. I just, I just don't want to overthink this one, frankly. Yeah, I I think we need to, but, you know, look, we we have we need to opinions. What? We need to think really deeply about it because I think, I think. Oh Frank, no, that's not. Sorry, that's that, that's not what I was saying. I'm not saying that we need to kind of skirt over it. I, I, what I'm saying is, I, I I don't think that all of the complexity that you're talking about, which is all makes complete sense, is necessarily what was going through Frank's head. I just think he was like, who is available? Who's in form? Who can I give a game to? Who do I need to, you know, to play for fitness? You know, I, I just, I just think it was a lot simpler than the way you're describing it. Okay, I, I, I like the fact that you think my thinking is more complex than Frank's. Yeah, <laughs> I know madness, <laughs> total, total madness. But, but look, oh, everything you say makes complete sense. There's, there's no doubt about that. You know, the, the, the points you make are completely valid. The only question is, is that what was going through Frank's head? You know, uh, and, we, and, and we can, you know, we can, we can take a view on that individually. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think Billy Gilmore did his credentials a lot of good for the first time since he's come back? That was, a, a look, irrespective of the oppo, I, I know exactly what we could say. Well, it was only Morecambe, but... There was a cohesiveness to it. And as the game went on, he was appearing and he was not only winning the ball, he was passing the ball. Again, forget the opposition. He looked comfortable in the, in that team doing what Frank asked him to do. He looked natural. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a really good player. The worst thing that ever happened to Billy Gilmore was getting injured when he did, because yep. I think he was he had real momentum going for him. So he's having to start again. We know the quality that the lad has. We know we know that he's someone that you know lots of teams look at and cover. Um, and I can see him having a real future at the club in a significant first team role. Absolutely, he's still got a couple of errors in him. I mean, the the save that Kepper had to make came from a Billy Gilmore backheader that was 
you know, lax and poor. Some of his passing was was a little bit loose and sloppy, but you know, so was other people's in the team. But in answer to your question, did he do his credentials any good? Hell yeah, I think he did really, really well, and I think he's a you know a, a player that we we should all watch with a bit of excitement moving forward. Yeah, because he that that that's kind of my my point as well is that he grew through the game. The guy who finished the game was not the same guy who started it. If you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, and that's what he needs to work on. He needs to work on putting in a ninety-minute performance that that starts you know starts and finishes at the same level. You know that that's what he needs to work on, not not growing confidence through a game because we need someone who's going to start from the beginning. Because it's one thing making you know an error against Morecambe. If you make it against a top five team or a top six team, you're, you're dead. You know that could lose you the game. So. I mean, I'm speaking in slightly hyperbolic terms and, 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 you know, and overstating the case, obviously, but it's important for young players to perform at a consistent level. And I think that Billy Gilmore, you're seeing, because he's coming back from injury and because he's establishing himself in the team, you're seeing fits and patches a little bit. You know, so I want I want I want to see some consistency there before I'm utterly comfortable taking him him taking the place of a world class player like Kante, for example. Yeah, I, I I'd agree with that. Uh, we, we we will see. I I think if Kante is out again, I think it'd be very interesting to see what happens against Fulham. But we'll come to that in a bit. Okay, mm. who else impressed you? Uh, I guess we should speak about Kai Havertz. Yeah, Havertz. I thought. Look, uh, I liked in the first half. I liked the fact that he was there or thereabouts in everything. I thought that the whole team were a little bit lethargic in the first half, and and the intensity wasn't there, and that was frustrating me a little bit. It's been one of the issues uh, in the team over the last six or seven games that we just don't have that intensity and that press and that fizz about us. Um, but he was there or thereabouts. He wanted the ball. He was available for the ball, and I thought he had a really solid first half and second half he was playing as I said much closer to the striker much further up the pitch he was in and around the box he was arriving he was a goal threat throughout and I think that we started to see what Kai Havertz is and Kai Havertz is somebody that's all about goals and assists and we have to play from those strengths we can't play him out and isolate him out on the right hand side and expect him to play as a you know as a you know just an adjunct to the midfield he's got to form the absolute centre of that midfield and be the player that is available and causing issues throughout the game yeah I'd say about Havertz you know when he was playing out wide I just think that was because of the injuries. He suffered, of course it was. Yeah, he I suffered know, I know because that. of other people's injuries. And yeah, I felt yeah. sorry for him because he looked, you're absolutely right, he looked a square peg in a round, round hole. And that knocked his confidence as well as the, the uh, reaction to COVID, all these things we've talked about. But okay, yet again, only Morecambe, but you saw his awareness on the pitch was returning. And there was one run that he did, which was actually badly covered by the cameramen because they were showing a replay and you only saw the end part of it. But he took the ball from just outside a penalty area and he has that... Um, he's like a show horse in a way, the way that he runs with the ball. It's so elegant, uh, but powerful as well. And I think that's something, you know, which, which is, again, going back to what we said earlier about being in the ground, the one thing you can never tell until you're in the ground is really the size of these players. But he looks as though he's quite a, a strong 
man, you know, he, he reminds yeah. me a little bit of a, a slightly slimmer uh, Michael Ballack. Not calling Ballack fat, it, but, you it's know. Been said, it's been said by a lot of people, I think, the Ballack comparison. And, you know, I, I totally get that. And I think that what was interesting yesterday is watching him track. He hadn't really tracked in previous games, but yep. he was sticking his foot in. He was working hard he was supporting his fellow midfielders and defenders there were times when he was defending deep in our half I, I, I just liked him a lot and I like the fact that he got a headed goal as well because you know players using their height height to their advantage is something I always like to see I mean there's too many tall players that are useless in the air looking at you Nemanja Matic or, and, or uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek <laughs> yeah or there's, there's enough you know we've had a lot of tall players that just don't have that kind of aerial presence now I'm not saying that you can't work on that but you know that was a decent goal at the back post you know yeah. To, to, you know, to, to, to be taking. I just thought, you know, he could have had a hat trick in that game, and there's been other games where he could have had a hat trick as well. He's a goal threat. And when was the last time that we had a, you know, proper 15, 20 goal a season midfielder? Frank Lampard. You know, I'm not making those comparisons yet. That would be mental. But I think that, you know, if he can chip in with 15 goals from midfield a season, we're a serious proposition. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I thought about him, two things about him yesterday. One, for the first time since he's come back from coronavirus, he actually looked fit to me. Yeah, he did. He, uh, and I thought that was really important. Two, this was a great game for him to play in because he had Morecambe players trying to kick him quite a lot. Mm. And he didn't go down, whereas before, in previous games, he's gone down under tackles. He stood up most of yesterday and he took it and he'd keep the ball. And I thought... That was really useful for him because it just shows that he's realising he's got to tough it out over here. And he looked solid and he looked like a unit. And I like what I saw. Yeah. And one thing I've I've read a lot about Kai Havertz is that he's an intelligent person and, and an intelligent footballer. He's got a great football brain. I think he's a player that's going to learn. He's going to learn from a manager like like uh, Frank Lampard. He's a good team player. I think that, you know, 21 years old, he's got everything in front of him. And, you know, though anybody that's, that's showing doubts about Kai Havertz at the moment needs to get back in their box because I think he's a class, class player and I stand by that. And I think that, you know, as this team evolves and develops and as he evolves and develops, he's going to be a really important player for us. Yeah, I totally agree. The the other point I'd make about the midfield, what I really, really liked yesterday, was the way Mason Mount and Callum were connecting and their relationship on the pitch. Mason was feeding him quite a lot of the time. Um, and you can see that they've obviously played a lot together. It was it was because Callum coming back has invariably been put out to the right. But on the left, I mean, he's done brilliantly on the right, don't get me wrong. But on the left, he looks even more confident, doesn't he? He does. And, and, and you know, what I, what I was really disappointed about CHO when he was going through his post-injury comeback was he didn't look like he was enjoying playing, that he looked like he was playing within himself, that it was a miserable experience, that, you know, it was a chore. And now he goes out there, he's got this fire in his eyes and this determination and this swagger about him that we saw flashes of before his terrible injury you know when we were all you know sort of desperate for him not to go to Bayern Munich and now he's back I just he just got to play him got to play him because he's really really exciting at the moment and I think that you know if he can reach the potential we know he has he's going to be an astonishing player okay Bayern Munich come in Last day of the, se- the the transfer window, and offer a hundred million pounds for him. What do why you would do? You, why, why would you know? You're an elite 
team like Chelsea looking to to win you know elite trophies why would you sell one of your best players doesn't yeah. make sense we're not a selling club we wouldn't sell him but if I'd have asked you that say three months ago you'd go we probably have to have a think about it that's what I think the brilliant thing about Callum is he has changed our perception we were worried you remember I think there was a podcast where you both said the person we both fear for the most after Ruben Loftus-Cheek is Callum Hudson-Odoi he just, doesn't we, look could, as... could, could he get his mojo back? That was yeah. the question. Could, yes. could he get it back? You know, and, and look, I mean, when, play, when, when teams like Bayern Munich come in and, and are so aggressive in their pursuit of players like Callum Hudson-Odoi, you have to think they've seen something in him. You've seen, you've seen something in him for the future that, that, they, are, that, that they identify as being elite um, and you've got to take that seriously when teams like that make such an aggressive pursuit of a player. Um, and, and we saw him struggle coming back from injury. We saw him struggle to, to find his swagger and his form. But now it's back. It's a wonderful thing to see. Another homegrown player alongside Reese, Tammy, uh, Mason, you know, who, who are really growing and blossoming. And, you know, we all know and we all should still stick to the fact that this is not the season. This is not the season. Next season is when I think when we really need to see the maturity, uh, you know, of, of these players coming through. So, and, and, and the players that we've bought bedding in, I don't think it's this season. Um, but, you know, we, we let, let's try and enjoy it, you know, while we can. Yeah, well, you know, that, look at the joy we're getting out of a, a simple game against Morecambe because we see relationships developing. And it's what we've talked about is that the really important thing is for players to develop their relationships with other players in their respective parts of the field. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of a lot of great things to take out of the game. Yeah, I, think. I mean, look, I mean, I think four 0 was probably a par score. I think it was probably the minimum, you know, that, that you would expect against a team like Morecambe. We spent, we took eighteen minutes to kind of score our first goal. Lovely strike by Mason Mount, but then after that, it was fairly, you know, fairly plain sailing. We had eighty percent, eighty-seven percent of the possession in the first half. Uh, there was nothing to worry about in that game. I don't think my heartbeat ever got above sixty-five in, in, you know, in 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 the game. It was never a you know, apart from the shot come cross that, you know, that almost caught Kepper out, which to be fair, he did very well with, you know, on the goal line. Um, apart from that moment, it was, you know, just a fairly plain sail against, a, you know, a, a, a much lower division team, as it should be in this position. Onwards and upwards next. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we haven't had a plain sail for some time. So, no. uh, so yeah. All right. OK, we'll leave that all behind. Um, we've got to that point where we've got to look forward. So we have coming up Fulham. That's that's. That I suppose the heat will be taken out of that because there won't be anyone in the ground. But that's a that's a potential banana skin or. Do we see this as a real opportunity to to consolidate against a team that, you know, are starting to get a little bit of something together? But we should really be able to take them, shouldn't we? Uh, they're bottom three. I mean, you know, they're in the bottom three. They've only got 11 points from their 15 games. Um, their goal difference is minus 10. They've put a couple of decent displays in had a couple of draws um against against decent opposition but you know again you know you've got to be beating teams in the bottom three with the quality that we have and the firepower that we have we need to be taking the game to teams like fulham um but having said that you know we've got a pretty bad record in the last 
seven to ten games. You know, it's not it's not great. So I'm not taking the game lightly at all. But you know, they're not great. They've got a little bit about them, but not enough to to to, to be better than us. So I would say we've got to we've got to put a, put a performance in against them. So how different do you see the team being uh, that we put out? Uh, I, I think the the, the defence will change, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll have our goalkeeper in, in Mendy back in, and uh, you know the, the the rest of the um, you know the rest of the uh, the back four that we. Know. I don't know if is Reese fit. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's all a bit quiet on that, which is always if he's, a concern. If he's fit, I think he plays alongside yeah. Zuma, Silver, and Chilwell. If he's fit, I think he is. Um, the midfield's going to be interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. In I can't call the midfield. I'm not even going to attempt to call the midfield. I think uh, I think he might. Try Zayek, Werner, and Hudson Odoi again up front. I think he might. I think that that worked pretty well. You know, it's great I, to see Werner get a goal and get some confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think it'll be that front three. And uh, and I think, depending on Kante, I think it'd be the same midfield. I think Mountain Havertz will be playing there constantly now as long as they stay fit. I think that'll be his plan. I think Kovacic will revert to being an impact sub or when you need him to do something. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be a, a, a first-team pick. Um, yeah. So it, it's down to how he views Kante and whether he sits Billy Gilmore out and goes, don't worry, your time will come, your time will come. Or whether he goes... No, Kante suspended. Oh, OK, yes, of course. Injured for the cup game, suspended for the next, isn't he? That's mm. right. So, yeah, I think it'll be the... I think, apart from the defence, it'll be the same midfield and same attack. Yeah, I think he might put Kovacic in. I think he might. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not convinced he's completely sold on Gilmore as a Premier League starter at the moment. So that would be my only doubt. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did play Gilmore. I, I just think Kovacic has got a shout for this game. It, what it does say is though that Gilmore is now firmly in the thoughts, whether yeah, he plays he or not. Yeah, yeah. So, so he he's done himself a lot of good. Um, it'll be it'll be well. Let, let's see. You know, come Friday, mm-hmm. um, weird night for football. I've never quite understood or got on with Friday night football. It's strange. Well, I mean, in some ways, if you win on a Friday night, it's brilliant because then you just sit back and relax for the whole weekend and just watch all the other games and knowing that you've got three points in the back. If you lose, make the whole weekend miserable if you lose you don't watch another bit of football all week exactly exactly <laughs> all right so come on then uh let's have prediction time from you fulham bottom three not great i think that we've starting to see some green shoots uh in our team particularly up front i'm gonna say three nil three nil okay i'm gonna go two nil that's, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all right. It's a it's a win. I'll take that, um, and we will see what happens. Right, Andy, that's it. Not going to talk about Leicester, or we're going to. Well, no, because we'll do the pod on the Monday, won't we? Do it on a Monday, right? Okay, the, fine. The Leicester game's on the Tuesday night, yeah. so we can't really do it. I think fine. Um, that's fine. Yeah, I, okay. Kind of like to, but I think we should probably do it on Monday. But a couple of you know, a couple of interesting games coming up, particularly Leicester. I think that's going to be. I think we have to get a result on Saturday and, and use that as a, as a as a platform to to build a result against Leicester. Friday, yeah. I should say. Yeah, exactly. Here we go again. So yeah. finally, Andy, if people want to get in touch with us, what is the best way to do so? 
Uh, social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Chelsea Podcast. You can follow me on Mr. A Saunders. You can follow Kerry on at Kerry Levy, C E R I L E V Y, Kerry Levy. Uh, on Instagram, it's at the Chelsea Podcast. Uh, I am one true Saunders, or you can follow Kerry on Kerry Levy One. There we go. That's it. We're out of time. Thank you, Andy. Enjoy the week ahead. And um, I look forward to catching up with you, as always, next week. Cheers, everybody. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.